and welcome to episode 57 of the Burt's Books podcast. This week has been quite a difficult one for me this week. I, I think lockdown possibly starting to get to me a bit. Uh, not seeing barely anybody is quite tough. And I had a little bit of a wobble yesterday, uh, well on Friday, where I wanted to just, I, I said to a friend, I just don't want to see any books anymore. Uh, I just want a day or two off. But I have rallied and I'm feeling much better now. So I have got, of course, um, some latest book reviews for you, uh, the update on the bestseller charts, and a new round of the Pagemaster quiz, sort of. Um, you'll find out when we get there just, uh, just why that's um, a bit sort of. Uh, it's all coming up on the other side of this music. The first book that I am telling you about this week, well, that's a lie. I'm actually going to tell you about two because it's a two for one special on the Burst Books podcast today. I wanted to read Deity by Matt Veselovsky, the, the latest book in the Six Stories series. However, I hadn't quite caught up with the series, so uh, I needed to read Beast first. So I read them both. Uh, Beast, here is the blurb. In the wake of the Beast from the East cold snap that ravaged the UK in 2018, a grisly discovery was made in a ruin on the Northumbrian coast. 24-year-old blogger Elizabeth Barton had been barricaded inside what locals refer to as the Vampire Tower, where she was later found frozen to death. Three young men, part of an alleged cult, were convicted of this terrible crime, which they described as a prank gone wrong. However, in the small town of Urgarth, questions have been raised about the nature of Elizabeth Barton's death, and whether the three convicted youths were even responsible. Elusive online journalist Scott King speaks to six witnesses, people who knew both the victim and the three killers, to peer beneath the surface of the case. He uncovers whispers of a shocking online craze that held the young of Urgarth in its fraud and drove them to escalate a series of pranks in the name of internet fame. He hears of an abattoir on the edge of town which held more than simple slaughter behind its walls and the tragic and killing legend of the Urgarth vampire. For those who don't know this series, I have talked about it um, before as I've read the previous ones. It's based around a true crime podcast series. And I say true crime in in air quotes because obviously everything in this is fictional. But the idea is that Scott King interviews a different person every week about an old cold case. And he always says we're not setting out to solve this. It's setting out to add a bit more colour to the story and just find out a bit more about what actually happened sort of beyond the headlines are, are, you know and the facts so the three young men that were convicted of killing Elizabeth why did they kill her that never got answered really so what what happened and also she was found naked with her head decapitated placed on her lap so why did they kill her there's a piece of evidence that clearly sort of says, oh, we've, you know, that, that puts those three in the frame. But in that video evidence, she's dead, but not in the form that she was found. So 
what happened between that video and the body being found? Was somebody else involved? Were the three guys set up? Were... Yeah, what happened? So, this is about trying to understand maybe the motivations of these three young men and also getting to know a bit more about Lizzie um, Lizzie B she was a blogger and uh, sort of really becoming famous and just who was she the story starts sort of gets brought back up when a piece of graffiti um, is put outside her parents house that said, uh, who locked Lizzie in the tower? That's what gets Scott King's attention, and he heads up to Urgarth to try and find out just what happened. It was really weird reading this book when I did, because obviously it's set uh, in, um, well, parts of it are set in 2018, when we had the big sort of um, polar, I think they called it a polar vortex, but uh, it was known as the Beasts in the East. And it came over and we were covered in snow for weeks and it was just freezing cold. Well, anyway, I was reading it as we were going through, not quite as bad, but we had a lot of snow and we were very, very, very cold. So it felt quite atmospheric to read it when I did. Uh, especially as it was set during a time which I kind of knew. I knew where I was when this was happening. Other things have been sort of based in recent histories, um, but there's something about that weather front which was kind of a shared history. We all knew, we all can kind of remember where we were. So to, to think that this might have been happening, you can really easily picture how cold it must have been as ever, Scott King gets under the um, <coughs> Scott King gets under the skin of a few things and starts to find out that maybe Lizzie B wasn't that nice. Okay, well, fine. Not everybody is always that nice. Does that mean that uh, she deserved to die? Of course not. But what drove these three young men to do it, especially as we start to learn more about them and that maybe one of them isn't quite as bad as the others. I don't know if that's the right word, but a few people were surprised that he was involved in this. Uh, and they were young men, after all. So was one of them worse than the others? Was there a uh, sort of peer pressure thing going on? Or was it something else entirely? Perhaps the idea of this vampire that um, came from Russia, another sort of iteration of the Beast from the East, um, perhaps they were real. Perhaps that's what we're going to find out. Perhaps that mystery is going to be solved and that there is something supernatural going on here. We just don't know. Um, you're going to have to read the book to find out. But of course, once I'd finished that, it meant that I could read Deity. Here is the blurb of Deity. When pop megastar Zach Crystal dies in a fire at his remote mansion, his mysterious demise rips open the bitter divide between those who adored his music and his endless charity work, and those who viewed him as a despicable predator, who manipulated and abused young and vulnerable girls. 
Online journalist Scott King, whose six stories podcasts have become an internet sensation, investigates the accusations of sexual abuse and murder that were levelled at Crystal before he died. But as Scott begins to ask questions and rakes over old groves, some startling inconsistencies emerge. Was the fire at Crystal's remote home really an accident? Why was he never officially charged? Are reports of a haunting really true? It's... So this one, I mean, we've got the central character of Zach Crystal, and it's framed. Each episode of the podcast um, is framed with interview, with well, with transcript of an interview that um, Zach Crystal did uh, around about a year or so before the fire, but after he'd been missing for a year. He went missing, and he went into seclusion, and he suddenly reappeared with an album, and he came on and did this interview which was really notable because he didn't do interviews. He was very much a always keeping himself to himself, keeping himself an enigma. And then I can't say that word, an enigma. So in a way, this is, and he was a child star. He grew up with his sister Naomi in a sort of a duo and they were all over the place. And then he became single uh, star and, and absolutely huge and all at a very young age. Um, so it kind of gives you, uh, it makes you think of Michael Jackson um, because obviously he was, he was a child star, he was absolutely huge, but then during the later parts of his life there were uh, rumours and accusations of child abuse and I'm not going to go into that, but this is kind of taking that scenario and trying to understand what might have made Zach Crystal into who he was. It doesn't mean we can forgive him for what he did if he did anything and there is a really grey area in this book. We never really know. We've got these fans who stayed over at his Neverland style ranch who said absolutely nothing went on like that. He just wanted to get to know his fans and play. But all the time, it was always young girls, young teenage girls that were invited, never young teenage boys. So there's that kind of grey area of, well, okay, if nothing was going on, why weren't there any young men there? Why was it always women? But you kind of get this impression of Zach Crystal as well, that he was... Uh, there was something not right with him. He hadn't developed and matured properly. And he maybe was gay, we don't know. Uh, maybe actually having these women around him was what he wanted as a, as a child. He wanted to grow up around and have friends. Um, and then there's his manager who, was, who died mysteriously on the grounds... He was found dead. Um, we've got his sister hanging around. There were two fans who were found dead in a cave. And it appears that one of them may have eaten the other. Um, a bit like a vampire. And I'm just sort of, you know, that sort of ties in with the, with the Beast book. But then there is another question around, well, actually, were they trying to get in to see Zach Crystal? Or were they trying to get out? Uh, so there's a, there's a whole other, again, a bit like Beast, there's a, there's a supernatural element to this. But what's the most interesting bit is it's essentially a character study of what can warp people's way of thinking, what can 
change their uh, their ideas and what makes them who they are. I actually think I prefer this one, Deity to Beast, uh, just because I don't think it quite relies... Uh, the supernatural element on this was fairly debunked. It was one person fought, that fought it, nobody else really did. Whereas in Beast, um, there were quite a few people who seemed to believe in it, so it seemed a stronger possibility that it might become a uh, part of the resolution whereas in deity it didn't seem that at all uh both beast and deity and in fact all of the six stories series are available to order on burtsbooks.co.uk right now and i do still have some signed book plates of deity um ready to go out so if you order that right now you will get a signed copy this is the point where I normally introduce you to my guest on the latest round of the Page Master Quiz. And this week's guest was Melissa. Unfortunately, it didn't record properly, something which I've only just discovered now. Uh, Melissa was very nervous about taking part. She thought that um, maybe she wouldn't do that well. And I think maybe she'd been listening to some of the previous rounds where some of the very hard questions were, were appearing. But she did get two questions right out of ten. She knew, for instance, that I stood for international in ISBN and that Elizabeth, Joyce, Ibrahim and Ron were the lead characters in the Thursday Murder Club. She also had questions about uh, Ben Aronovich's series Rivers of London, How to Stop Time by Matt Haig. Um, a very difficult question about the author of Mr. Men and Little Miss books, where I asked her what Roger Hargreaves' real first name was. It was Charles. And one that she kicked herself over because I asked her who Mark Rylance played, which role old character in the 2016 film of the same name. It was, of course, the BFG. But, like I said, she did get two questions right. It gave her ten seconds in the final round. And the uh, option that she chose for the final round was HP. That came up after she'd said that she was hoping for Harry Potter. So, she had ten seconds to name as many Harry Potter characters as she could. Within a few seconds, she named five, and then what normally happens to a lot of us, uh, she froze, and the pressure of the time got on her. So she did only get five in the ten seconds in total, but it gave her seven points, and it puts her in third place on the leaderboard, which just goes to show that even if you only get a couple of questions right in the first round, you can still do well to get on the leaderboard. So, if you knew the answers to some of those questions and think that you could have named more than five Harry Potter characters, well, tough. Those questions and rounds have been and gone. But something similar may come up. And who knows, I may even put the Harry Potter characters back into the categories because it's quite difficult coming up with a list of all of those book uh, options. Why don't you email me at burtsbooks.co.uk if you end up on the leaderboard at the end of November, so that's top six, you will be in the running to win £100 worth of books, which uh, might just do you for... You can also tweet me at burtsbooks and let me know that you want to take part. 
If you've been listening to me recently, you will know that at the moment I am going through my bookshelf. It is time for it to have a little prune uh, because I am running out of space. I have quite a small flat and uh, it is overflowing. So I'm going through and getting rid of some books that I haven't read um, and have, and probably will never get around to reading. Some books which I read, but do you know what? I don't ever plan to read them again. I don't need to keep them on my bookshelf. Um, and then there are some books as well which I absolutely want to keep. And it's those ones that I'm going to be telling you about. Um, so I'm going to tell you about now Postcards from No Man's Land by Aidan Chambers. When I was in school, we're talking back sort of 98, 99 here, I was invited by our school librarian to be part of a shadow scheme of judging for the Carnegie Prize. And I don't really remember all the details of it. Um, I had it in my head for a long time that we were the judges, that what we voted for was the case. Uh, but I now know, looking back on it, that was almost certainly not the case. Um, we were a bunch of 11-year-old, 12-year-olds. Um, and, I, you know, I guess in a way that is the best judge of a book for an 11-year-old, 12-year-old. But maybe... Actually, no, I think maybe we should have judged it. Anyway, regardless, we were reading five or six novels and one of them was actually Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban which I think won it for our group we decided very much so that that was our winner um but and I don't remember this book um being with me at the time but what I do remember was there was a woman named Charlotte who worked for Red House Books which I think was an imprint of uh, Random House uh, at the time and she came and judged the or helped us sort of chair the prize and I remember getting on very well with her and I told her about a story that I was writing or that I wanted to be a writer she gave me her card so uh, a few months later I sent her a letter along with a uh, probably quite awful story it was printed on about 12 pages of paper um it, it was not uh my best work it was a sci-fi thing um and there was a really uh yeah um it just wasn't great let's leave it at that but she replied back with a really lovely letter um basically saying <laughs> we're never going to publish this uh, uh but she also sent me a copy of postcards from no man's land by aiden chambers and this was the eventual overall winner of the Carnegie Medal that year. And I hadn't read it. I don't think it was in our, in our list of titles that we had got to read. So I did read it and I, I've lost the initial copy that I had. Um, but I, I read it and I loved it. And then many years later, as part of a book group, I suggested it to my friends because I wanted to give it another read. Here is the blurb. Jacob Todd, abroad on his own for the first time, arrives in Amsterdam for the commemoration of the Battle of Arnhem, where his grandfather fought 50 years before. He meets the terminally ill Gertrude, 
an old lady who tells an extraordinary story of love and betrayal, linking Jacob with her own Dutch family in a way he never suspected, and leading him to question his place in the world. This was, I think, possibly one of the first, and it's not, I mean, it's, it's probably a YA book now is where we'd classify it. But to me, it was a very grown-up book. It was set in the real world. There were no witches and wizards. It was proper. It was a proper read. And he also explored Jacob, um, who was, I think, probably about 14, 15. I don't think he was um, very old. Which does make you wonder what he was doing out in Amsterdam all by himself. Perhaps maybe he was a bit older. But he finds this really liberal town, um, city I guess is, is Amsterdam. And it's here, he meets a few people. He meets, um, he meets a young woman that he really seems to be attracted to. And he gets on very well with her and then goes back to her place and they have a little kiss and then uh, he discovers that this woman has a penis and so it's actually just a very femme gay man and ends up with Jacob exploring who he is and his own sexuality which uh, you know 13 year old me at the time found utterly sort of fascinating, eye-opening, uh, you know, there was somebody here going through thinking about some of the stuff that I was thinking about. So um, I, I was utterly astonished. Now, when I do remember when I reread this, I don't think I loved it quite as much as I had. Um, so obviously there is always a thing about context with reading some of these books. But I know that I got more out of it because I think this time round I liked more of Gatrui's story. Um, and, you know, the back of it says as well that um, it is a really complex tale spanning 50 years that explores sexuality and also euthanasia. Um, so again, there was, a, there was another sort of hard-hitting issue in there, something that I'd never really considered about. And... It, it gets talked about in this book. So, although it is for teenagers and YA and stuff, it was my first exposure, probably, to adult material, adult issues. Uh, so that is why it will always have a place on my bookshelf. It is called Postcard from No Man's Land. It's by Aidan Chambers. And you, yes you, you can order it right now on birtsbooks.co.uk. <laughs> It's time for my favourite bit of the week, and that is, of course, the bestseller charts. There is just one new entry into the top ten this week, and that is 20th Victim, the 20th book in the Women's Murder Club series by James Patterson. I will read you the blurb right now. Free cities, free bullets, free victims. Simultaneous murders hit LA, Chicago and San Francisco. SFPD Sergeant Lindsay Boxer is tasked with uncovering what links these precise and calculated killings. With the expertise of the Women's Murder Club at her disposal, she may be the only one who can solve these country-spanning killings. But the truth proves more complicated than she feared. Lindsay discovers that the victims all excel in lucrative criminal activity. 
As the casualty list expands, fear and fascination with this shocking spree provokes debate across the country. Are the killers villains or heroes? And who will be next? That one, as I said, is the 20th book in the Women's Murder Club series. It's by James Patterson and Maxine Pietro. You can um, order it on birthsbooks.co.uk if you want to. But if you've never read the series before and you feel like giving it a go, you might want to look at the series subscription option on Burt's Books because with that one, you can get every book sent to you in order every, in the, in every month. So you can choose between one or two books and uh, you can catch up on the series. But enough of the hard sell. Let me tell you where, where that one appears in the charts. Uh, will it be a seventh week at number one for Pinch of Nom, Quick and Easy? Or will maybe James Patterson make it to the top spot? Perhaps one of the other nine books from last week, maybe one of them will make it to the top. There is only one way to find out, and that is by using data sourced from Nielsen Bookscan Total Consumer Market Panel Chart. At 10, down two places, it's Fair Warning by Michael Connolly. At 9, down three, it's Tomorrow Will Be A Good Day by Captain Tom Moore. Captain Tom Moore is at 8, with uh, 100 steps down, up one from last week. New in at 7, it's 20th Victim by James Patterson and Maxine Pietro. At six, down five places, it's Pinky of Nom, quick and easy, meaning we will definitely have a new number one this week. At five, it's No Move for the Reluctant Heiress by Dilly Court. At four, up three places, it's Still Life by Val McDermott, the latest in the Canon Pyre series. At three, down one place, it's The Boy, The Mole, The Fox and The Horse by Charlie Mackesy. And at two, up one place, it's Richard Osmond's The Thursday Murder Club, which means that at number one, up three places, it's Grown Ups by Marion Keys. Will Marion still be there next week? Will something else take her spot? Maybe Richard Osmond or Charlie Mackesy, who have both been inside the top three all year so far, maybe one of them will move up and take the top spot. There is only one way to find out. In fact, that's a lie. There's loads of ways to find out. But the best way to find out is by coming to the Burt's Books podcast every Sunday to find out. Common Ground from Naomi Ishiguru was my next read. Um, let's get the obvious out of the way. Yes, she is the daughter of, uh, and I, can, I won't be able to say his name right, Kazui Ishiguru. Um, so yes, there is literary talent running in the family. Here is the blurb of this book. It's a lonely life for Stan at a new school that feels more ordeal than fresh start and at home where he and his mother struggle to break the silence after his father's death. When he encounters fearless, clever Charlie on the local common, all of that begins. When he encounters fearless, clever Charlie on the local common, all of that begins to change. Charlie's curiosity is infectious, and it is Charlie who teaches Stan for the first time to stand on his own two feet. But will their unit of two be strong enough to endure in a world that offers these boys such different prospects? The pair part ways, as friends do, until their paths cross once again as adults at a London party. Now, Stan is revelling in all that the city has to offer, while Charlie seems to have hit a brick wall. He needs Stan's help, and above all, his friendship. 
But is Stern really there for the man who once showed him the meaning of loyalty? I didn't know what to expect when I read this book. I've got a really bad habit, or I don't know, it might be a good habit, I'm not sure, of picking up books and just reading them without knowing what the uh, book is about. I get sent a lot, so I will just go through and pick up copies um, that I just like the look of. You can tell what genre they are going to be by the cover. So I know I picked this after Deity because uh, I didn't want another crime book. I wanted to go and have a look at something a little bit more slower paced. So I picked up Common Ground as well, plus other people had told me that it was very good. And so I picked it up not knowing what it was about. And Stan and Charlie, basically we see the first part of this story from Stan's point of view. And he is not having a good time at school. He has gone, he started in a school where everybody else knows each other because they came from the same sort of junior school. But he has come in and joined at a later date. He doesn't know any of them. And so we, we, we see from his point of view he's not getting on. In fact, he's, he's, getting, he's getting bullied. He escapes one evening to the local common. And uh, he's on his bike, he's cycling through when the chain breaks. And he is a really touching moment because he wants to fix it without getting oil on himself because he doesn't want his mum to know that the bike broke because it's a new bike, or at least new to him. And they don't have an awful lot of money. And she obviously has saved up to get him this second-hand bike. So he's trying to fix it, and that is when he meets Charlie. Charlie comes along, and he just inserts himself into his life. He's very charismatic, very confident. He can go up to anyone and talk to them. And so he fixes the bike, and they stay there talking for ages. And Charlie's a few years older than Stan. Uh, We're looking at about 13 for Stan, 16 for Charlie. So... um, it's an unlikely friendship, but they get on, and Charlie is talking about how he goes boxing of an evening, and Stan goes out looking for him. And this is after like only meeting him once, and he sees him, but then sees Charlie with all of his other friends, and he suddenly feels really foolish, so he, he cycles on. Um, but Charlie sees him, and it's, it's almost like Stan has this bit of a crush on Charlie and I guess it's the way that we all have these sort of crushes on people where it's not necessarily romantic or sexual it's this person is so amazing I want them in my life I want to be their friend and that is the feeling that Stan has for Charlie they end up becoming firm friends and they spend you know they see each other after school every day and then Charlie takes Stan home to meet his family, and this is when we discover that Charlie is um, a gypsy, a traveller. And there's a little bit of hostility, or uh, perceived hostility from people uh, at the at the camp, where they're not that sure that Stan should be there. He's a gorger, uh, so he, he shouldn't be there, and, and Martin might object, uh, whoever this sort of mysterious Martin figure is. Turns out to be Charlie's uncle. And then there's an incident which ends up with 
Dan in hospital and Charlie meets Stan's mother for the first time and she basically banishes him. She says, don't come near my son again. You are trouble for him. That's the first part. It's very much uh, sort of hijinks and two young lads being lads and and they're getting on and, you know, you, you kind of want to go on these adventures with them. The second part, fast forward 10 years, and we see this bit from Charlie's point of view. And he's got a wife, he's living not as a traveller anymore, uh, but he's living in London, he's renting a flat. Uh, they are struggling because they've tried to have a child, but it, it didn't quite happen for them. And he's, I mean, he has, the blurb says he's hit a brick wall, and that's a really perfect way to describe it, because this this charismatic young man that we saw, who could have gone on to be anything, is is stuck in a rut. And he feels older than his years. I mean, he's probably only about 26, 27 here, but he feels like he's in his 30s, 40s, which, you know, no issue to anyone in their 30s or 40s, but he doesn't have that energy of youth anymore, that hope and optimism for the future. And then after an argument with his wife, he walks out and he goes to a bar, he gets drunk, he meets a girl, goes home with her. He doesn't he doesn't sleep with her, but he's he's drawn to her. And so he comes back and he ends up at this party. And it's a party of young people and they are all sort of free and very liberal, very artistic, very creative and idealistic. And that one of these girls at the party um, is waiting for her boyfriend to arrive. And of course, her boyfriend is Stan. And this is the first time that Charlie and Stan see each other in 10 years and they reconnect. And now Stan very much wants to fight for Charlie, fight for uh, his... Charlie's suffering because of who he was, who he is. He's, be, he's suffering sort of racist abuse. He's, he's being drawn into back into the traveller world because of a fight that he's expected to go to. And Stan wants to help him. Again, he's full of this idealistic stuff. Uh, you know, he, he thinks that you can say to his boss, look, we need to write this story about my friend. He's being discriminated against and he these people that he's working with at this paper he thinks you know they are uber liberal they're gonna take on this cause and they don't because it's a traveler and honestly we don't need to involve ourselves with that and it's when charlie it's when stan realizes actually maybe the world isn't as as perfect as he thought it could be and actually, does he give up on Charlie? Does he, does he leave him to his separate world and get on with his? Or does he stick by Charlie and help him out? And it is a lovely, wonderful story about friendship and coming of age and finding your place in the world and realising that ultimately it's those friendships that perhaps mean more in our lives than our family. Uh, 
Yeah. It was very... It's one of those books that will stay with you. Um, Charlie and Stan are, are characters that um, will live in your mind for a while. I think Ishiguru, very good at writing characters. These two particular, you know them straight away, you care for them straight away, which is a very hard thing to achieve. Uh, so I was very impressed with this book. It is Common Ground. It's by Naomi Ishiguru. And it comes out on the 25th of March, I believe. You can pre-order it right now at burtsbooks.co.uk. Thank you so much for listening to me waffle on as ever. That is all I've got to tell you about this week. So I will let you get back to your own Books, all of the books that we talked about on the podcast this week, including the top 10, are available to order on burtsbooks.co.uk right now. And I really would appreciate if you did. It's what keeps me in tea and biscuits. If you'd like to get in contact with me, I would love to hear from you. Email me bert at burtsbooks.co.uk or tweet me at burtsbooks. Those are also the places to go if you would like to take part in the Page Master Quiz. And finally, if you uh, could, I would love it if you could leave a little review or rate uh, to rate this podcast so that other people might find it. And uh, if you do enjoy what you hear and you haven't hit subscribe yet then do hit subscribe because that way you will get each new episode delivered to you uh, every week now i am off to start getting ready for bundle day i can't believe that february i mean i know it's the shortest month but it's gone by so quickly and it's uh, bundle subscription day at the end of this week. So if you haven't signed up and would like to, now is a really good time to do it. There's some excellent books coming in the March bundles, which will be coming your way. Uh, so head to birthsbooks.co.uk forward slash build. You can build your own subscription there. You decide what genre you want, how many you want, and even whether you want them every month or every other month. Uh, use the code WELCOME20 to get 20% off your first month. That is enough from me. I will speak to you all next week. Keep reading.